PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another episode of EM Board Bombs. I am the co-host and co-founder of this spectacular organization, Dr. Blake Briggs, comma, MD. Dr. Hussein won't be joining us today. He actually just called in. Um, turns out he was asked by the UN uh, to help with uh, securing a habitat for a group of humpback whales in the South Pacific. Pretty short notice stuff. It's something that apparently he does a lot, he told me. So he won't be joining us today, but we'll look for the pictures on the news tomorrow. But the show must go on. So let's talk about EM board bombs. For each 10 to 15 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. And as we'd like to say, you come for the stems, but you stay for the content. Please sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes. We now have the trifecta of board review. We offer these free podcasts that are on iTunes or on Spotify, they're on Google Play. And we have free quizzes online. We'll email you the answers when you do these quizzes. They are board relevant tests and free handouts, which are printed almost bi-weekly. They're fantastic. They're one to two pages long. They cover high-yield topics uh, for both life and boards. We've gotten fantastic feedback on them. You can get all the access you want to all this stuff by going to our website at emboardbombs.com. Again, that is emboardbombs.com. Also, if you're into social media, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at emboardbombs and on Instagram at emboardbombs as well. All right, Dr. Hussein, you ready for the topic? Just kidding. He's not here. Yes, Dr. Briggs, I'm ready for the topic. All right. So we have a 17-year-old male, and he's brought in by his parents to the pediatric ED after he had some lightheadedness and chest pain while working out. Last month, he actually had a syncable episode as well. He has no medical problems that he knows of. The patient is a very athletic build, male. He's tall, and he actually plans to start next fall with a varsity basketball position at a very well-known college, San Raboa State University. He presents normal tensive. He has no complaints at this time. He actually has a systolic murmur on exam. He wishes to be discharged so he can attend his regularly scheduled modified Zumba class. So which of the following is true? Choice A. Chest pain is the most common symptom of this condition. Choice B. Epsilon waves can classically be seen on EKG. Choice C. The murmur can be accentuated with the Valsalva maneuver. And choice D. Diuretics assist in symptom control. Correct answer here is going to be C. The murmur can be accentuated or increased with the Valsalva maneuver. Don't you love murmur questions? Whenever someone heard that, I'm sure they were just groaning. Because uh, I remember when I saw this question on boards, I groaned too. So we're going to talk about hokum today, if you didn't catch on. Hokum, which is hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. We're going to refer to it as hokum the rest of the show, or else it'll be 20 minutes long. It's a form of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Remember, it's a subsect. The whole obstructive part is a very unique pattern of this sort of cardiomyopathy. It's a genetic mutation. It causes some type of contractile dysfunction of the heart. And, you know, the underlying pathophysiology, remember this, is going to be this sarcomere, you know, gene issue, inheritance issue. Most cases are genetic. The classic, classic, classic answer choice, histology answer choice here is going to see this quote-unquote chaotic and disorganized array of fibers intertwine with myocytes. I can't tell you how high yield that statement is. I see it almost on every single medical student board review test uh, when I'm tutoring or teaching for step one or step two. This question comes up so much when they're asking what's the most common cause of death in young people for sudden cardiac death. They're not going to just list 
all these names like Wolf Parkinson White, Long QT Syndrome, Hokum, they're going to tell you, you know, the descriptors, right? Oh, it's a sodium channel malfunction for some form of Long QT Syndrome, or it's this disorganized chaotic array of fibers intertwined with myocytes. That's the most classic pathognomonic phrase I could ever hear for Hokum. So that's going to be what it is. So basically you have this left ventricular hypertrophy and you have a wide array of symptoms and heart abnormalities from it. So think about when you have left ventricular hypertrophy, well, you're going to have increased risk for some type of arrhythmia, ventricular atrial arrhythmias, right? Either one. You're going to have some sort of diastolic filling dysfunction. And then of course, as the heart works harder and it's more disorganized, blah, 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 that sort of thing, you're going to get more ischemic risk for coronary artery disease. And then of course, mitral regurgitation from the LVH as well. The final thing that's probably the most common and classic, and that's going to be relevant to boards, is going to be the left ventricular outflow obstruction. Um, and we're going to talk about that a lot today. So what are the symptoms related to? Well, think, you, you could have a variety of symptoms, right? You could have symptoms related to diastolic heart failure. You could have symptoms related to some form of myocardial ischemia. Or you could have symptoms related to some sort of arrhythmia, right? That we just talked about. This is the number one cause of sudden cardiac death in patients less than 40 years old. However, the majority of patients have no symptoms. It's actually like a 1% mortality, the whole condition itself. Many patients are identified by accident um, via screening due to family history risk or incidentally on health physicals, right? Especially young athletes. There's actually no correlation between the symptoms themselves and the progression of the disease, which makes this a very interesting relationship when you're trying to diagnose this condition. Another interesting point is that the advanced systolic heart failure symptoms, those are super rare and not helpful at all. So don't expect any JVD, don't expect any volume overload signs, so no peripheral edema. Don't expect any PND, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, orthopnea, etc. These are all going to be more systolic function issues, right? And so typically these patients are diastolic dysfunction. Um, they're not going to present with advanced systolic heart failure symptoms. So what is the most common presenting symptom? This is one of the answer choices. It's not chest pain. Um, it's actually dyspnea on exertion, um, which is a little bit nonspecific. There's going to be 90% of patients have this, uh, which is quite a lot. That's fantastically helpful. Um, and whenever you hear a patient, you know, as an aside, say dyspnea on exertion, that always gets my attention. And, you know, of course, this is going to be a hard question to ask. Unfortunately, in the emergency department, or if you're into health physicals and you work in a clinic setting, um, when you're asking patients, oh, do you get short of breath when you're walking around? Well, if they already told you if they have short of breath at rest, I'm sure they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, I'm short of breath walking around. And so what I do is I keep this question open-ended, and I feel like it's helped my responses. Um, and actually, uh, Anton Hellman of uh, Emergency Medicine Cases, very helpful uh, podcast on PE, actually. It did a few months ago, and I listened to it. And it was actually very helpful because he mentioned how to phrase this question a certain way to get better answers, more objective data. And the way you should be asking this would be, hey, what makes your dyspnea worse? Or when do you feel your dyspnea is at its worst? And if the patient says, oh, by far, you know, when I'm getting up and walking around or when I'm hiking up the steps or something like that, um, that would be concerning. Um, that's going to be dyspnea on exertion. Or especially if you have a young person that says, normally I don't have any issues um, walking around doing things, but when I start playing basketball or I'm doing my workout or whatever, I feel much more short of breath than I used to in the past. That's concerning for many causes, right? Not just hokum, but PE or, you know, channelopathy or something of the heart, etc. So the whole reason you're getting dyspnea on exertion, of course, is due to this impaired LV emptying, and that's due to the left ventricular outflow obstruction. It increases end diastolic pressure and volume. Uh, and then mitral regurg could also be a potential pathology. We're going to refer a lot to SAM today. SAM is the systolic anterior motion, fancy phrase for basically the mitral valve that slaps up against the thickened septum of the left ventricle. And that's kind of the whole pathology here we're going to talk about, and that's why people die of uh, hokum. So chest pain actually is found in about 30% of patients, completely unreliable. 
And then syncope is also very rare. However, this one is important. Whenever a young person has syncope during workout, that should always raise red flags. This is actually the major risk for sudden cardiac death. So whenever a patient has a syncope episode while working out, it's only about 20% of patients that have it. However, when they do have it, of the patients that have hokum, very concerning for poor prognosis for sudden cardiac death. Physical exam is usually going to be normal. Um, rarely you're going to hear a fourth heart sound, um, which is either Kentucky or Tennessee. I can't remember. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I feel like if you counted up the syllables, they both sound about the same. Um, sometimes mitral regurgitation, so you have a systolic murmur at the apex. And then classically, perhaps more commonly, you're going to have a systolic murmur from the actual uh, samming. <laughs> I don't think it's a verb. Sam. Systolic anterior motion of the mitral valve against the left ventricular septum. So you're going to have this systolic murmur from the left ventricular outflow tract. And this is a test question right here, and this was one of the answer choices. You're going to increase that murmur intensity by either doing a Valsalva or giving nitroglycerin or standing up. Think about why that is. Let's take a step back, and let's use our imaginations. And whenever I'm in deep thought like this, I often think to myself, what would LeVar Burton do? Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. A reading rainbow. A reading If you're sitting there and thinking about how the heart fills in diastole, remember that the blood enters the heart. And if there's more blood actually in the heart itself, so preload, right? Preload, high preload or high afterload, that high amount of blood is going to really prevent almost like I think of it as a buffer. The mitral valve is not going to be able to hit the septum as well. And so anything that decreases preload or decreases the afterload is going to increase the murmur intensity because the valve is going to come into contact with the septum more. So think about the valsalva, right? Raises afterload. Nitroglycerin decreases preload. And then standing up would also decrease preload. So all those maneuvers would decrease the amount of blood have a left ventricle that collapses easier. And therefore, the valve hits the septum more. And that's the noise. You know, the, the murmur is going to be increased intensity. What decreases the intensity? Well, the exact opposite. So a hand grip, right? If you're squeezing someone's hand while listening, that's going to increase afterload. If you elevate the patient's legs, it's going to increase their preload. And then sitting or laying down, of course, is going to increase preload as well. So hopefully that all makes sense. The many other physical exam signs um, that literally you could just look up on any cardiac website or internal medicine website or some Take textbook, that's it's enough, enough. LaVar. They're nonspecific and they're not sensitive at all. Um, you know, it's great to learn them. It's great to be getting a, It's great to do a good physical exam. I'm being serious. I didn't mean to <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh there. Physical exam is important. It's great. However, for the boards, it, this part doesn't matter. The things we just talked about are the only things you got to know for the boards. So an EKG, less than 10% have a normal EKG. Wow, that's really good. Um, EKG, as always, is a fantastic screening test, and it's always the right answer. Whenever I'm working with students and someone suggests an EKG, I very rarely say no. EKGs themselves show prominent Q waves in the inferior and lateral leads. Um, and this reflects, obviously, the septal depolarization issue you have from these massive you know, chaotic array of muscle fibers, the hypertrophied muscle. Um, so Q waves, big stuff, prominent Q waves in the inferior and lateral leads. You also have P wave enlargement. That's very nonspecific, but it, it shows, you know, left ventricular hypertrophy. Left axis deviation, of course, again, emphasizing left ventricular hypertrophy. And then finally, giant inverted T waves in leads V2, 3, 4, which is concerning for other things, of course. When you have giant inverted T waves, you know, you got to worry about Wellens and some form of ischemic heart disease. Got to worry about PE. Got to worry about AVRC or AVRD. Speaking of which, it's AVRD or AVRC. The names interchange a lot. 
the big thing with AVRC and AVRD is that that is the condition that has epsilon waves, not hokum. So hokum actually doesn't have any epsilon waves, so keep that in mind. That's a common slip-up people will make. It is a prominent cause of sudden cardiac death. It's a scary condition, just like hokum, but it is not hokum. It's a completely different condition. It deserves a whole separate board talk. All right, so what are you going to see on the echo? So if, let's say you see some EKG findings. Um, you're going to go ahead and get an echo, a non-stress echo, and that's going to show left ventricular wall thickness, and that's imaged anywhere. So if you do personal long, personal short, um, you're going to see this most commonly in the septal area, uh, that greater than 15 millimeters wall thickness. If the echo is positive, the non-stress echo, if you see wall thickening, then you have to do a stress echo, um, an exercise stress echo, preferably, for risk stratification of these patients. And then you're going to sort out, um, again, not important for emergency physicians to know this, but you're going to sort out basically their risk uh, level, and then you're going to decide basic management. So the, the frontline management of this, of course, is going to be medical therapy. And these patients are going to be avoiding any vasodilators or diuretics because we just said that's going to make them worse, right? Decreasing preload. And that's why choice D was wrong. Diuretics do not assist in symptom control. They make it a lot worse, right? Remember, this is not systolic heart failure. We are not trying to drain them of fluid from the volume overload. There's no volume overload to treat. So vasodilators and diuretics, avoid them. Beta blockers is the first line. And that's the first line for everything. You're going to start these people on beta blockers. And if they have continued or worsening symptoms, then of course, it'll go down the line and talk about alcohol ablation or some type of myomectomy, uh, which is outside the scope of what we need to know for the test. Speaking of which, our sponsor today is actually Jack Daniels. I'm just kidding. ICDs. So defibrillator devices. So ICDs, of course, needed for anyone who survives sudden cardiac death. That's a no brainer. If there's any family history of sudden cardiac death and you have hokum, you'll get an ICD probably. If there's any syncable episodes, with chest pain with known hokum, you should get an ICD. And then really any form of ventricular arrhythmias, which are, you know, that's standard, as well as end-stage heart failure, you consider ICD placement. Again, don't memorize those indications, but have a general feel for, wow, this, these patients will probably need that. They're higher risk. So ICDs and beta blockers, and then, you know, we talk about later surgical or alcohol ablation, myomectomy. Okay, so rarely these patients can come into the ED with acute hemodynamic collapse, which is frightening. And this is actually related to some form of increased LVOT obstruction, so left ventricular outflow tract obstruction due to some acute cause. And so these patients will come in hypotensive, tachycardic, thready pulses, they'll have a classic decompensated cardiogenic shock picture, and it's usually due to some type of dehydration, hemorrhage, diuretic usage versus decreased afterload like a, you know, a, 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 a tachyarrhythmia that's causing poor cardiac output or some type of acute form of mitral regurgitation. So you got to think about that kind of stuff as a major concerning cause. All right, that was actually pretty good. So let's quickly review. So answer choices. Remember that dyspnea on exertion is the most common symptoms, 90% of patients. The least common symptom is actually chest pain. Syncope is the worst prognostic symptom that can happen. It's rare though, 20% of patients. On EKG, which is a great screening tool, less than 10% are normal. So they're always going to show something. LVH, left axis deviation, giant inverted T waves in V2 through V4, prominent Q waves in the inferior and lateral leads reflecting that septal depolarization. On exam, you might hear a fourth heart sound. I wouldn't hang your hat on that, right? Systolic murmur from the LV obstruction is going to increase intensity if you do a Valsalva or you give nitroglycerin or stand up. It's going to decrease in intensity if you're going to do a hand grip, elevate the legs, or sitting or lying down, which makes sense, right? Because preload and afterload, if you increase both of those, you'll increase the intensity of that murmur. So don't expect any systolic heart failure symptoms on these patients when they come in. Remember, this is a diastolic dysfunction. It is the most common cause of sudden cardiac death in patients below the age of 40. So always have a high suspicion of these patients. First line therapies, beta blockers, 
and other pharmacologic therapy. ICDs are needed for high-risk patients for SCD, sudden cardiac death. So that's another Boar Bomb delivered. Remember to sign up on our website at EM Boar Bombs for future episodes, new content, and updates. Again, that is emboarbombs.com. It's totally free. It's no cost to sign up. The benefit is knowing when new episodes are up. You got bonus content. We have free quizzes on our website. Follow us on Twitter at EMBoardBombs or Instagram at EMBoardBombs. And drop us an Apple review. You know, we've been harping on this for weeks. And these reviews really, really help us. Uh, These Apple reviews. They put us on the mark more. They move our podcast higher to the list. Please do us a favor. We put a lot of work into this stuff. We have an awesome team of medical students. Uh, Dr. Hussein and I really, really love working uh, with this team we have right now. And please do us a favor for the hard work. And so please drop a five-star review and uh, support us. Thanks again for listening. Dr. Hussein will be back next time we hope. Bye.